Who's been enjoying the Ephesians series? I love Ephesians. <clears throat> it's a book that I've read a few times through. And what's amazing is that every time I read it through, there's another thread that God picks up with me. There's a theme that he speaks to me about. So my encouragement to you guys is that even though we're doing kind of a lot of the background work and a lot of the hard work, we're not picking out everything. I said to Gary in preparing this, so I started, I mean, I've been mulling over this for a while, but then on Monday I kind of started to put my what's in my head down on paper, and that's very difficult. As you all know, I like to read, and then I just had to find more information and more information and more information. So anyway, my charge to you, my encouragement to you is that <clears throat> go back during the week, and even though we're coming to the end of this, Go back and read Ephesians again for yourself and start to see the thread that God is highlighting to you, the stuff that you've never seen before, and go and speak to him about that. Because we're not a people who are lazy in the spiritual war. We have to be that. We find the truth for ourselves and we apply it for ourselves. So we're doing some stuff. We're opening up some stuff. But you guys need to do some work too. Okay. Sorry. That was a little bit of a... All right, so the last few preachers, and I commend Bruce and Leisha because actually they have had to bring some really difficult truths in our current day, talking about submission and wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives because I think you guys have the harder job. <laughs> um, children, obey your parents. This is not a language that the world likes to hear today. So well done, you guys. You are courageous. This morning is going to be a walk in the park, don't stress. No, I'm lying, it won't be, but it will be fun. Spiritual warfare is one of my favorite subjects. It's kind of like, oh, I need the maguji. Oh, I broke it. So spiritual warfare is my favorite subject, something I've always been attracted to, um, sort of like, it fascinates me, but it also, not so much now, and I'm not saying it doesn't scare me, but it used to make me feel quite uncomfortable at times, certain, especially certain things, and you, I mean, we must all agree that there are some weird stuff in the Bible. Okay, looking back, I'm not going to go through this, we've been through this, united in Christ, united in the Spirit, united in purpose, blah, 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 okay. So, last couple of weeks, united in marriage family, and now today we're going to do spiritual warfare part one. It could be like part 500, but anyway. Okay, we're starting at Ephesians 6 from verse 10. I'm only going to be dealing with, it says 14. I don't know what I did here, but um, it's actually, I think, only until 12. But I'll, I'll kind of unpack the rest next week. And I separated these because what I'm going to be covering from this morning, I really need you guys to get a grip of this, because we can't warfare if we don't understand this. And Paul's amazing. What he does is in verse 10, so let me go there. So let's read together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. This is ESV version. Put on the whole armor of God, for that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I know that you guys are reading those words and you're kind of going, okay, whatever. Because in our Western mindset, we struggle to understand the spiritual realm, the unseen realm. We kind of like are geared towards what we can see, what we can hear, what we can touch. But the spiritual realm is an interconnected realm with us. And actually what happens in the spiritual realm impacts us in a greater way than what we understand it to be. And the modern church has done us a disservice. So what's interesting, from verse 10, he starts out with finally. This is the Greek word, the Greek word. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I'm not even going to try. Is that what Paul is saying is this is a summary of Ephesians that I'm going to give you now, but in another context, looking at it from another angle. So I'm like, this, this, these two verses that I'm going to deal with now, verse 10 and 11, are literally a summary of Ephesians 1 and 2. I don't know how he manages to get that into two sentences, but he does. Doesn't make it unimportant. In fact, in the Passion Translation, he says, I have saved the most important truths for lost. So this is incredibly important for us to know. All right, so let's give you a little bit of background about the city of Ephesus. I'm going to kind of give you from a spiritual atmosphere point of view. So they practiced idolatry like in a big way. So in the city center was a temple, a ziggurat, I think how you pronounce it, how they put it. They put it in the middle of the city. It's the highest point. It's in the middle of the city. And they worshipped Artemis or the goddess of Diana, kind of the the Greek version of, of this god. This was a deity. Now, we think, like, in terms of idolatry, we think of the statue. So what we need to understand is this is a spiritual being who God assigned an area and said, you need to now have these people and help them to serve him. And I'm going to unpack it a little bit, and I know that in some ways I don't want to blow your brains too much, but this is a spiritual being. So in our Western minds, we struggle to understand that there are other Elohim in the spiritual realm. Elohim? So we know God is the Elohim, the El of the Elohim. He's the God of gods. But there are other, what the Hebrew guys called gods, demigods. But they were high-ranking spiritual beings in the spiritual world. And this is who these guys, because what these guys did, they said, God said, okay, here's your realm, here's your responsibility, and then they overstepped it. And they were like, cool, let's have worship for ourselves. That's where idolatry comes from. All right, so when Paul visits Ephesians for the, or Ephesus for the first time, this is what he finds. These people were obsessed with power, and it's through the means of witchcraft and magic. So why, we think of magic like a magician who like, you know, appears and does tricks. Magic in those days is to do something, and I'll explain it now. Because they were incredibly fearful of evil spirits, ironically enough. And they were highly superstitious. 
they had these, and this is fascinating, they had these, they're called the Ephesia Grammatica, Grammatica, Ephesian letters. Isn't that fascinating? So this was a list of six words, and these were repeated as a mantra. In fact, you could actually find people walking in the streets, kind of repeating these words so that they would become protected. And they believed, so the belief in this was so strong that these six words, which was attached to a deity, a spiritual being, would protect them if they spoke them correctly. And what's interesting is when they wrote these words down, they actually wrote them quite unintelligible. So there was a struggle to understand. It was almost like they were creating a little bit of a, a hardness. It's like, I know how to pronounce these words better than you, so therefore I'm more protected than you. So if it was mispronounced, it was considered ineffective. They believed there was power that resounds in the sound of these words. And if they repeated these mantras, they were placing what we would call a false hope, but they believed that there was a hope in a substitute power of this deity for protection. So this is their, this is their worldview. As I said, there were words of power, and if they pronounced these words properly, they would make the person and who is muttering these words into an active, powerful being themselves. Another common practice was to create like an amulet. So what they would do is they would write these words or some of these words on a little piece of papyra or like what we would turn paper. They would roll it up and then they'd tie it to various parts of their body. And this was their magical protection to ward off evil. The god, the idol, the statue of this god in the middle of the city had these words written on their feet, on their girdle, and I think there was three places that they had it. Interesting, if you listen to Paul's thing, and we're going to unpack the armor of God. This is interesting. He's coming against the, the evil or the power that's residing in the city of the day. They believed it would bring them good luck and good influence. And if you were possessed by an evil spirit, and if you used this mantra enough with m enough belief and enough pronunciation, it would drive out the demon that you had. Now, what's interesting is that these deities, these spiritual beings, were gradually analyzed, which basically meant that in their minds, which is what we kind of seeing the result of today, is that they stopped becoming a spiritual being and they, they started to be reduced to just merely evil, evil spirits in their heads because then they had to use a formula. So the, the superstition kind of increased as they, they carried on. Acts 19 verse 19. Um, so Paul preaches and people respond to this. And as a result, and you've got to read through Acts 18 and 19 to get a kind of a, a background story of the city of Ephesus, but people eventually bought their books, their magic books, their formulas, their amulets, and then they had this huge bonfire and burnt them all. Such was the impact of Paul's preaching in the day. In fact, that caused a riot with the people who were making these things and, and making a business out of it. They were losing money, they got upset, and there was a massive riot. So 
their day was, it was very strong, this city of what they were. So there was lots of references in the book of Ephesus is to the spiritual realm, to evil powers, to darkness, and yes, even the underworld. That is a realm that exists. And Colossians is the only other book that matches Ephesians in terms of the references for power. Um, and the Ephesus, Ephesus <laughs> emphasis, I'm going to get mixed up, between what Paul places in Jesus' victory over these, over these powers. A guy called Arnold Clinton says that Ephesians has much more to say about the powers than any other New Testament epistle. So there's a theme here. All right. So if you go back and you start reading it, start looking for these themes. Pick it up. My problem is I picked up so many. I was like, I want to use this and I want to use this. And God's like, eh, stick to the script. So Gary said to me, I've got to be obedient to the text because this is a different kind of preaching. You've got to go through how Paul's laid it out and not just go wherever I want to, which has been very hard. I think it's a lesson here for me. Okay, so anyway, so I've kind of packed out what is going on, but now I want to pack out or unpack, pack out, my language, is what a mess. So Paul understood what a mess society and humanity was in. So Humanity, from the falls, the rebellions, we have three problems. We have a relational issue, and the, all these problems are related to God. We have a relational issue. We have a, because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve, we have a relational loss, severance to, to God. Genesis 3 says humans lost all relational access to God because of what happened. This was the, the result of a loss of a spiritual connection. So our sense of belonging became veiled or hidden from us. Um, so our perception of our identity became faulty, and therefore all our relationships now become affected. So whatever affects us from the heavenly realms affects us in the earthly as well. So if, if our relational access to God gets severed and affected and fractured, so therefore our relational as access to each other becomes veiled and fractured as well. The next thing was we had a death issue. I mean, this is fairly obvious. So the result of the rebellion in Eden, the spiritual and the phys um, physical rebellion, was that there was immediate spiritual death for us as humans. So our spiritual human God, with God was severed. Um, and the fallout was a gradual death for our physical bodies, right? Um, because our bodies became corruptible and started to decay. I'm sure as you get older, you start to realize that when you wake up every morning, um, yes, my body is decaying, my eyesight. <laughs> uh, Genesis now. This is a third one, which is a new one to me, and, and this is because of my studies that I'm doing with Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser. Genesis 6, probably the weirdest scripture in the Bible, I think it's from one to five, talks about the watches. Now, what I'm going to do is I want to just kind of take this subject and put it there gently into your laps and just so that you, to help you understand that I'm not going to unpack it all, it's too much. Um, 
But to the ancient Jewish mindset, the source of all depravity doesn't come from Genesis 3. It comes from Genesis 6. Why? Because the watchers, these spiritual beings, these Elohim, started to teach humans how to accelerate evil and destroy ourselves even more quickly than what we have. So to the Jewish mindset, they don't trace back much. They, in their minds, there's not a, the original source of sin, the origin of sin is quite rare in that to Genesis 3, which is Adam and Eve. But to their mind, Genesis 6 was the source of all evil and depravity. Because the watchers taught humans a whole bunch of stuff. Now, the text is very small, but you have to go into like books of the book of Enoch. Now, it's not a um, canonized scripture, but they, even in Jesus' day, these guys knew these books and they read it and they understood the context. So we are starting to learn, and it's only because in 1947 when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and they've just discovered more now, so God's unearthing stuff, is that they started to realize how important these books are. Not scripture, but it helps us to unpack scripture. So what, in fact, is the law is, was only given to us after the Tower of Babel. Because the law helps us to restrain evil in our lives, and it's to protect us from depravity until Jesus came. Okay, so I know you're all looking at me weirdly. It's okay, I am weird. Gary, Gary calls me his oddball. Obi. So we have, remember this, we have three issues. Relational issue, we have a death issue, and we have a depravity issue. Okay, I'm going to unpack it now. So, next one. Verse 10. Well, we're still in verse 10. I only just finished with the first word. This is the problem, right? Okay, so the next kind of emphasis I want to place is be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So, the Passion Translation says be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with Jesus, the Lord Jesus. We are made strong in Jesus. It's the only place we can be made strong. He makes us more capable because it's his righteousness. So when we stand in heaven and we, we are allowed to approach the Father, we come through in Jesus' righteousness. That's how God sees us now. Ephesians 1 verse 19 says, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. This is where we gain our identity, and this is linked, the, if you unpack all these words, and I'm, I, I try to kind of like, I don't want to go through each word, which I could have, and then you'd all be bored and fall asleep, but it's this, these words are linked to our faith, linked to our faith in the word of God as well, so that when it abides in us, the word of God, our faith increases, and our courage, our strength in who we are grows. And I want to introduce to you today a different kind of Jesus. So we all know Jesus, the man. We all have an image in our head of this guy with long hair and he's in robes and he's kind of got sandals on his feet. 
I mean, people are watching The, the Chosen. We've seen, we've seen an, an element of Jesus, which, please don't get me wrong, that is a beautiful part. And G, um, some of Dale's songs emphasized the beauty of the human in Jesus and who he was. And we thank God for that. But today I want to introduce you to King Jesus. So the, a few weeks ago, I had a vision, and this is something new for me as well, is that Jesus walked into the room, and normally when I have like a, and when I say walked into the room, this is in my imagination. I imagine Jesus walking in, but this time he was wearing armor. He was King Jesus. You know those knights, those guys, and they're like super cool, and they have their, their armor on, this is, and I could almost hear the clinking of his armor as he walked in. And I was like, wow, this is an amazing vision of Jesus. But I actually don't know this Jesus very well. So this is who I'm unpacking for you today. Because the word Lord means he's our supernatural master over all. He ex- exercises authority over us. We're going to unpack his authority and we're going to unpack all of that now. So let's look at, so Ephesians 1.19, it talks about how Jesus was seated next to the Father, it talks about how that it's the Father who appoints Jesus in this highest position, and Paul goes into a lot of detail of this formal, and it's in a formal appointment of Jesus as King. It's his positional authority. And his authority reigns supreme. The word says far above. It's not like it's like the next level. It's far above everything. So above every power in the heavenly and spiritual realm, in the physical realm, and every throne, in the spiritual realm, the physical realm, as well as in time, in the age, that age, in the age to come. So Jesus' authority reigns supreme over every authority, every ruler, every spiritual being, over all. Not only then, but in age to come forever. That's pretty big. It says that he's been given the highest rank there is above all. And this was because his obedience as a son here on earth, God appoints him. God seated him. He sits in this place of authority. And Jesus showed us on earth that he was successful not only in resisting the enemy, but then when he, when he died, there's a gap of three days. So the gap is for us. But if you unpack what that gap was, in the book of Enoch, explains he went into the, the realm of the dead, and like Enoch, he told them, your judgment is set. You are done. So that's what Jesus didn't like lie in the grave and kind of camp out there. He got back the keys of death. He did some major work in the spiritual realm for us. And this is all through his personal connection with his father. 
Paul really drives home this point. Go back and read how much the authority. That's quite a long, detailed verse in Ephesians 1. And what Jesus does in this is he's restoring God's order, not only in this physical realm, but in the spiritual realm as well. Because of the rebellion, these guys have no place where, where Father God lives in heaven. And Jesus is telling them, sorry, there's no hope for you. So we see this played out. Um, he's resisting in the physical realm and how we can, like you see it in Luke 4, you see it in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see how he resists Satan. So, spiritual authority, earthly authority. In this, Jesus solves our relational issue. Because who he is makes us who we are. This is our positional status. Because in Ephesians, if you read it, it says that we are now, when we believe and we assign our faith to Jesus, we get seated. All right, let's go. I lost a slide. So we get seated with Jesus in the heavenly realm. But actually, if you kind of look at the, and I've heard a teaching on this, which is amazing, we get seated in between Jesus and Father God. That's our position. That's our relational status to the Father. So this is the place where we fight from. Our position of status as children of God. Our access to Father God. The fact that we are adopted into His family. We are redeemed. We are loved. It's relational. So as, as human beings, we get assigned one of the highest, not above Jesus, we get assigned the highest position in the family of God as his children. So we are chosen by God. So every one of you, God has chosen you. And what that means is he has elected you to have access to his truth. It's not about salvation, it's about, I mean, it is about salvation, but in the context of you have access to truth, now it's your choice what to do with that truth. So will we take the truth that we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are holy, we blame us for God, and keep that and take that as truth? Will we choose to believe that? And I'll unpack more of that next week. So verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What is he going? He kind of just said, be strong in the Lord. So now this is talking about the power or the might of God. So this is the ability to. This is God's energy. This is his ability. His primary working force is the ruach, the breath of God. This is Holy Spirit um, who breathed life into creation. This is the very power, if you look at how Paul unpacks it, is this is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this is according to the working of his great might. So God creates a process in us to cause spiritual life to function in us when he raises us from the dead. You know, you can't get more dead than dead, right? And I know we talk about this, but dead is pretty dead. Like, 
Dead is not functioning, dead is nothing. There's nothing that we can undead ourselves. So we are reliant on this breath of God to come in and resurrect our spirits. So that's what God initiates. When we... Yeah, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. The Hebrew wording of this carries the idea of his immense desire to be intimate with us. I love this. So not only does God want to do this, but the reason why he's doing it is because he wants to be with us. That's what the Hebrew wording carries. It is a desire to be with you. He wants you to come and be with him. He wants to be with you. He doesn't want... You know, when, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden... God went with them. He didn't stay in the garden. This, is, this talks about his desire to be with you and me. And the Greek word is linked to miracle signs and wonders, and that is linked to the love of God. So the love of God, that's why we have signs and wonders, is to show how much he loves us, to show the world his great power because of his great love. So Jesus was successful in overcoming the spiritual beings, as I said, in terms of the realm of the dead. He reclaimed the keys of life, or the keys of death. So now, you have to understand that Satan and all his spiritual beings, as much as they have power and they have might and they have whatever, they're not an equal power to God, to Jesus, and to Holy Spirit. They know it's not the same playing field. They never have had equal strength or power, and they never will. They're still created beings. The supreme exaltation of Christ is complete in both time and space, both vertically and horizontally, and over in terms of his, his might. doesn't just match it, it overcomes it. So this solves our problem with death. Oh, I did have that one. Okay, Jesus was raised from the dead. This is God's ability and desire, and this brings us salvation. So this solves our, our death issue. All right, so verse, sorry, it should be verse 11, not verse 11 to 12. I just want to go back to the death issue. For us to understand that when we are being made alive, we become a sacred space. And this is very important because we become the, the temple, the dwelling place of God. So the ancient mindset was anything with a mountain, anything in a garden, um, and there was another one, I think anything with a river, all of that language speaks about a temple. That's temple language. You see it, or anything with trees, actually. So, so if you look at the language in the Bible, when they speak about a mountain, high places, when they speak about all those things, they're actually speaking about the temple of God. Now we become that sacred space. So every person who has Jesus, who has... Um, come to Jesus in salvation, has responded to Holy Spirit's breath in them, is now a sacred space. When you walk, you go to work, 
you are like the picture of the Israelites when they're moving through the desert. That is a picture of us moving through. So in, in the ancient mindsets, a desert was a place of the absence of God's presence. So the fact that God had his temple with the Israelites meant that he was with them. And that's how we walk in the world. We are we're supposed to be this different space where the temple of God, the presence of God resides in us. Whether we believe it or not, that is a fact. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. We have access to the supernatural power of God. We just tend not to use it. And he is working in us, whether we choose to work with him or not. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And the reason why we need to live a godly life is we need to be different to the world out there and so that they will ask questions and go, why are you different? That's why when Bruce and Leisha preached about living a different way, we are contrary to the world out there. So that people will come and ask, but hey, you guys have been married for 26 years. How's that possible? Let me tell you about Jesus. Or in work situation, where you guys are like, hey, why won't you accept a bribe? Let me tell you about Jesus. Or as students who choose to walk a certain way, let me tell you about Jesus. Why? Because we are temples. We are sacred space. Okay. So, why does Paul, if Jesus has done it all, why does Paul tell us to put on the armor? You know, like, I hear this a lot, dealing, I do deliverance and inner healing in, in a ministry, and people often come to me and have, the, like, the struggle of, well, if Jesus did it all at the cross, why do we have to do anything? Why do we need inner healing and deliverance? Surely Jesus has done it all for us. Um, but Paul tells us to put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. So the language now shifted. He's been talking about Jesus, what God and Jesus have done. All of those things have been God's ability and Jesus' might and power. We haven't done a thing yet. So we've been seated, we've been raised by God and Jesus. We do th- and God goes, you know what, guys? Because you're my image bearers, you're not on your father's yacht. You're not yet to have servants come to you. We're doing this together. The Eden mandate comes into play now. Because we are co-laboring with him. We got some work to do. And um, this is, I think, where we get a little lazy as, as Western Christians. So the emphasis goes from the power of God and his might and his ability. And now he goes, spotlights on you guys now. God did something, but now God expects something. What does he expect? It's called responsibility. So there's a few assumptions in this text. First is that the assumption is, when he says put on the armor of God, so none of it was a war language up until that point. It was all about what God did, overcoming. You know, it was 
almost in many ways easy for God and Jesus. But the assumption in this text is that the, the audience understood that there is a spiritual war out there. And I'm sorry to say this to your Western beautiful mindset to all we do is seek comfort and convenience is that the moment we profess faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are plunged into a spiritual war. That's from Derek Prince. The very moment. I hear stories, many stories of people saying, I gave my life to God and Jesus, my life got difficult. Yes, and this is not preached enough. Hello, the enemy hates us. Not only does he hate us when we are dead because we still bear God's image, but when we become alive, he hates us even more. And he is incredibly diligent in fighting this war. Why aren't we? So some of it's ignorance. So guess what? Because you're drafted into the war, you also get drafted as a soldier. So when um, this was many years ago, people got drafted into the South African Defense Force, into the army. What is the first thing they went through? Basics. Training. It was physically hard. They had to learn how to make their bed properly. <laughs> it's called responsibility. There's a spirit of responsibility that I think the church is actually, um, the modern church has actually left new babies in Jesus very unprotected. Vulnerable is the word. Thank you, Gail. Guess what? God's expectation is you, are actually, you and me, not the people who are not from a church, who lead a church or those who get paid by the church, you and me are expected to fight in this war. So in the Screwtape Letters, it's a book written by C.S. Lewis, written in 1962, makes, he makes the very astute observation. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors with which our race can fall about the devils. I love his language. <laughs> One is to disbelieve completely in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, being the devils, themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialistic and a magician with the same delight. Michael Heiser says a very similar thing. He says that modern Christianity suffers from two serious issues when it comes to the supernatural realm. One is to believe that in the supernatural realm, but live as if we are skeptics. I know this. I can see this in me, and I can see it in others. So what we do is it makes us really uncomfortable when, who feels a little uncomfortable when I start talking about the realm of the dead, and that there's spiritual beings called demigods in the spiritual realm? Who feels uncomfortable? And maybe we get quite suspicious. And now we live under the weight of our own rationalism. Because, and, and, and what we do is we, any, any scripture that is super weird or odd, or we simply, our grids aren't there to handle it, we kind of, yeah, we hold it at an arm's length. Michael Hauser said he visited a church where they were looking to join, first preach, and I think it's in um, 
First Peter, where this guy gets, so they were doing an expository, and the guy gets to this text, and there's some really weird text in this. This is like Psalm 82 and Genesis 6. So he gets to this text, and, and, the guy, and Michael Heiss is like, he spent like 30 years kind of discovering all this stuff. And the guy goes, yeah, this stuff's too weird. And he literally skipped it. He didn't even try. That's what we do. Our reaction to any kind of, and this, I'm a, I am afraid of, to say, or ashamed to say, that this, in many instances in the past, I'm not going to say in the future, but if there's a miraculous kind of intervention or manifestation, is to insist on evidence, especially in the area of healing. Yeah, you better go to the doctor first before I believe your healing. Give us proof. That's our scientific Greek mindset that comes into play. The Hebrew mindset of the spiritual realm and of warfare, this is an ancient ongoing battle. And it's between good and evil. And their understanding of evil is anything that opposes God and his plan and God's people. That is considered evil. And there are evil spiritual forces that are hell-bent, and I use that deliberately, on our destruction. And actually, they have a plan in place for that. The Bible calls this schemes or methods. So guess what? You have a call of duty. Because you are drafted into God's army. And if you read, especially from the Passion Translation, it talks about the fact that God has provided so it says, put on the whole armor of God. The, presu- the presumption there is that it's God's armor and he's provided it to you. When you get drafted into the, the, any kind of army, they provide you with the uniforms, with shoes, and with weapons. You don't have to come bringing your stuff. They give it to you. The same applies with God's army. It says he has provided everything for us. And it's for our protection so that we be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. But it's our responsibility to learn how to put it on, how to use it, and how to use our weapons, not God's. He puts us in a training camp. It's up to us to participate in that or not. And the armor of God is God's manifestation of his strength in us, not our strength. So... God's army, his provision, your armor that he gives you, so you have to learn how to use it. And this looks like obedience. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the Passion Translation says, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but it's with the highest principalities, authorities, operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Okay, I am not saying that we take on territorial spirits. I am not saying that we go on our own and we go fight a battle 
and wage war against um, the spirit of Johannesburg. That is not our job. But we do need to know and understand our enemy. This is from the fallout. Let me just see. So the enemy has spent decades, eons, learning humans and learning how to come against us. That's why it's called he has schemes. And the, the fallout of Genesis 6 actually plays a much bigger role in evil, in depravity in humans than what we give it credit for. So we have a dual source of, um, for sin and, and depravity and evil in our lives. I think we, we're seeing a lot of this today. There's some bizarre things going on, like people are believing, what? Again, I said rebellion is a any choice to violate God's design and strategy for his rule on earth. Remember that there's an Eden mandate. So, the fall, God says to Adam and Eve, subdue and get dominion. So, you are to look after your garden in Eden, but then you're also to extend it. We're never meant to settle. Then, um, uh, so they, they start going out, and then oh, I'm trying to remember the kind of the. Then you get the depravity was so bad after Genesis 6, that's why we have the flood. And it says that um, how the. I think the wickedness of the man's heart was so great, and every intention of man's heart was to do evil. I don't know whether the depravity we're seeing in the world today is actually even equal to what happened before in Noah's time. And it was quite quick. It wasn't, it wasn't a long time. So God goes, whoosh, okay, let's try and let's start again. Okay, Noah, he gives the Eden mandate again. Go out, take dominion, extend Eden. The Eden mandate never stopped. <clears throat> And then we get Tower of Babel. And they go, let us make. Let us do this. So God says, you've got to go out. And I think from the time that God tells Noah till the Tower of Babel was only 100 years. So it was very quick. Where people went, oh, we have a better idea. Let's settle. God says, extend Eden. Let's settle. So they find a plane. And they settle, and guess what they build? The Tower of Babel is actually a ziggurat. It's a, it's a temple. And they want to now become like God. Again, you know, we really have a problem with this. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, the enemy is incredibly diligent, as I said before, in working the hearts of those who are disobedient. Jesus, again, my trump card every time is Jesus has triumphed. He has won this war for us in a way because even every title given, every name that is named, is still under Jesus. But if we don't know how the enemy works, so we, there's a couple of things. You have to understand how he works, his schemes, but 
even more, and I probably should have swapped around, we have to know our captain of hosts. So this is a really fun story. Where did I write it? Okay. So in um, Acts 19, this is funny, except for if you were part in this story. So Acts 19, the seven sons of Scivia, Sceva, Sceva, Sceva. Okay, so these guys, their dad was the Jewish high priest. And a lot of them used to, remember this is Ephesus, so they did have exorcism in those days. So these guys were practicing exorcism, and however they do it. Um, And now, in the day when Paul was there and he was visiting Ephesus, people, because remember their superstition of, we need power and we need protection from evil spirits. So what they would do is they would cut off pieces of Paul's, either the handkerchiefs that he was holding or anything that touched his body in terms of cloth, they would be stealing or cutting off pieces of cloth. And then anything that touched other people caused healings and even demons were driven out. Quite incredible. So these guys, these seven really clever dudes were like, okay. We'll do the same, because they hear Paul using the name of Jesus. So we're like, oh, we'll just do the same thing. So it sounds like they kind of tried this a few times, and then they get to this one guy. So they're going, we're going to drive out this demon. And the demon goes, hi, boy. No way. The demon's response is like, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, which means I recognize Jesus in Paul. Who the heck are you? One man against seven, he beats them to a pulp, strips them naked, and kicks them out the house. Don't you think it's funny? Come on, guys, it's funny. This is what happens to us when we try and engage without knowing the captain of our hosts. When we try and engage the enemy and we don't know who we are. And the enemy knows, he can recognize in us if we don't understand our identity. So we first work very hard in understanding what Jesus done. And if you don't have an understanding, go back and read Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 until you know who you are and whose you are before you even attempt to try and, try and start any kind of spiritual battle or respond to the enemy in any kind of way. Who are you? And who's your captain of hosts? Until you have an understanding, a revelation of King Jesus, and that he walks into the room, and that's where your authority comes from. Otherwise, you're going to get stripped naked, you'll be vulnerable, and you'll get kicked out. And there are too many people in the church, this has happened too much, and then they give up on church. Know who King Jesus is. Read Ephesians over and over again to ask Holy Spirit for an understanding of what he has done for you. Yes, the reality is the enemy is real. There is a dark realm. And he has a plan against us. And it is for destruction. It is for our death. But Jesus And you always have to look at this within the scale of God's plan for you and for humanity. In Ephesians 1, it says, so that we may be enlightened, so that we know. So 
if you take anything away today, go home and ask Holy Spirit for this revelation of King Jesus, of who he is, so that you'll be strong in the Lord and that you know the strength of his might. Then you can solve your issue with depravity. Guess what? Holy Spirit is the one who helps us here. John 14, verse 15 to 17 says, Jesus says, loving me empowers you to obey my commands. Now, clearly, we as humans have a problem with listening to God and obeying, right? Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. (laughs) You just see the people building the Tower of Babel. We have a problem. This is our area of weakness. So Jesus says, the very next verse, he says, so he has asked the Father God to send help in the form of Holy Spirit when he leaves earth. Jesus knows we need help. Do you know? So if you unpack the wording, like who Holy Spirit is, the wording here is that he's, in this text it calls him as like another kind of saviour. He's the spirit of truth. Yes, he's going to be our friend, but he's also going to teach us. So he's our training officer. So John 16 says that Holy Spirit's going to bring conviction of sin. He's going to prove to the world that they're wrong about God's judgments. But he's also going to, um, the judgment is related to the enemy. And this is where he works in us to empower us. Spirit, oh, this is the wrong one. I'd written something else here. Holy Spirit, if we don't have baptism of Holy Spirit, when, when Paul arrives in the city of Ephesus, the, his first, I think there were three visits, or two, three, the one he stayed quite long, but the first time he arrives in the city of Ephesus, anyway, the first time he arrives, yeah, this is again in Acts, he, he finds a group of disciples who are disciples of Jesus. You know what the first questions he asks them? Have you been baptized with Holy Spirit? Why? He knew the spiritual background. He knew that these guys were lacking. And they go, this is surprising, uh, no, we were baptized in, in John. They hadn't heard of Holy Spirit. Don't you think this is the condition of the church today? We get baptized into repentance. So we know that Jesus has forgiven us for our sin. But there's no empowerment through Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're so afraid of Holy Spirit. Why are we afraid of the very one who's going to empower us to be strong in might against, so that we can show the world, because we're so scared he's going to um, control us, then we don't know God. So my challenge to you today is, so Paul baptizes them in, in, in uh, Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in tongues, and miracles start occurring. You know, we are ineffective in the world. I struggle with courage to go and speak to a stranger about Jesus. When Holy Spirit, so I've been in, in the Word, I've been praying, spiritual formation people, then 
It's practicing off the spot, so when I'm on the spot and I'm out in the world, it becomes easy. Why? Holy Spirit empowerment. Actually, this was a problem in Ephesus because there was another thing where I think Priscilla and Aquila meet a guy who was from Ephesus and the same issue. He hadn't been baptized in Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is our answer not only to our personal dealing with our personal any kind of shadow in our hearts that isn't of God and through beliefs and lies that the enemy gives us, but also that we are able to go into the world. Again, extend Eden. So we've got to guard our garden. We've got to take care of our heart and what beliefs are in God and what beliefs are actually a lie. So that's Holy Spirit's work in us. But then we have to extend Eden through people, through the way we live our lives. So the only way we as humans can solve any kind of depravity issue is through Holy Spirit. Otherwise, spiritual warfare is going to be a big problem. Um, I have a funny story. So when we were on eldership at Bryanston, and we were, this was a long time ago. So this lady comes to me, and she says, I really need to meet up with you. I think we'd literally just come on to eldership as well. So we were very green. We had, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And um, so she's come visit me. I was like, yeah, sure. So I go visit her. So the first time I kind of got an inclination that this is not going to be a normal meeting or this is going to be highly weird, she locks me. She goes, no, 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 we need to lock the door. So she locks me in her house. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So then she proceeds to tell me this incredible story. I think, I don't know, my face must have been a picture. She tells me that she wasn't in, this is in Durban, so she was a mis, uh, like a monsieur, is that like a massage therapist, who eventually gets trafficked into um, prostitution through the Nigerian drug lords. She's a white girl, like, she was younger than me, young girl, I think she was in her 20s. I'm like, <laughs> and then she starts to tell me that they want to marry her, and this is where she put her foot down, they want to marry her as a bride of Satan. You could have picked my jaw up. I think it hit the ground a few times. Um, but she got out, she ran away, and when she ran away from Durban and drove up to Joburg, there were black dogs, I kid you not, chasing her car all the way from Durban. So they get here, she meets, oh, oh, she meets this guy who she eventually marries, and he was her savior, literally. Because when she married him, it broke the so-called covenant that was supposed to happen in the satanic ritual that they wanted her to do. Because if she had a baby in that, through that um, satanic ritual, then that baby was going to be basically sacrificed. So she meets this guy, it breaks something in the spiritual realm, and then they drive up to Joburg, spirits are chasing her in the form of dogs, and um, yeah, and now the enemy's chasing, their fire's happening and everything's happening to them, and she just wants to tell me the story. I'm like, okay. I literally went, I need to go now. 
can you please unlock the door? I ran out of there, or I kid you not. And the first thing I did, I found Gary, he said, oh, what are you doing? He was working at Branston at the time. He says, no, I'm just, I said, like, I don't care what you're doing. I never do this to Gary. I'm coming there now. You stop everything. And I went and I just sat in his office. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Oh, it was funny. Had no idea how to handle. Now having um, Sozo and understanding, I could have helped her, but I couldn't help her then. I often think about her and where she's at now. We had another lady in our home group. This is at Bryanston again, also probably a similar time period as well. Um, Shane, very broken lady. She had lots coming at her in life. And... Um, Anyway, she, she found said she was going to come visit our home group, and we were meeting on the property at Bryanston, so I had to walk, we were meeting like on a house there, so I had to walk across a field at the bottom there and go meet her and then show her where the house was. <laughs> so I get to her, she drives in, she gets out the car and I realize, ooh, this lady's super drunk. <laughs> okay. So she kind of, we stumble across the, the very long field, it seems, and we get to, I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. So anyway, I was like, okay, it's Gary's problem. <laughs> so I'm like, Gary, she's here. And the home group, she was actually quite late, so home group had already started, and we were in worship and all that. So <laughs> she manifested as we were starting to pray. She tore Gary's clothes. I tell you what, we had no clue. None. Gary phones a friend of ours, Dave. Dave, what do we do? I'm like, get everyone out. All I knew was like, let's not make a big deal about this. And let's go out into the next room and just worship God. Gary, you're on your own. <laughs> no clue. So what's interesting is that we had these manifestations. But we didn't know how to deal with them. And Dave helped Gary to some degree, but I think we could have been able to. We never saw this lady again. Again, I think of her a lot. So... But what's interesting is, and, and as I've grown in my identity of who I am in Jesus, and I've learned that he's the captain, and I've learned where my authority comes from, because at that stage I had no clue. I mean, there, there were guys who were trying to, like, shout at the demon, and, like, and she just got stronger and stronger. Hey, there were a few guys, yeah. So we had, like, this guy who were beating up seven men. I had no idea. They didn't recognize in us Jesus. They didn't know who, and they knew that we knew that we didn't have a clue. In, what's interesting is that in freedom sessions, and I deal with deliverance, and I'm, hopefully I don't come across as proud or like, it's just an understanding that I've grown in, a revelation that I've grown in, and still growing, and still dealing, and still, is that we don't have manifestations in, because we know how to deal with it. And people are being set free. But there's no, it's not a case of, I don't recognize, who are you to tell me I need to leave? Because we know how to get rid of it. And this is what the church needs to learn, is that it doesn't have to be me. Can, and we are all expected. We're the priesthood of all believers. So, God's plan for human, his human family is not going to be overturned. 
It's not going to be altered. We, don't, we are not the ones to change his plan. We are the ones to come under into his plan. And we are to stand in the triumph that Jesus has secured for us. We are to hold our ground in our hearts, and then we are to extend Eden. So we need to learn how to continue to stand in our victory, in Jesus' victory. That's why we need the armor. I had a most amazing, um, and I'm going to finish with this picture. So a few years back, we did um, some spiritual retreats, very beautiful times. And um, I'd been asking God, because I'd kind of gone through a dry spell of just seeing, like having visions of God. I, I'm one who, like, if somebody said to me, five plus five, I'm, I, I'm only going to use five because I know I'm a five on the Enneagram and so remember, I can remember the number, but it's because I picture the number, right? So five plus five e- equals ten, but if Gary starts talking to me about like number stuff, my brain goes blank. I see in pictures, I see in images, that's how I work, Everybody, everybody's different. But I hadn't seen in a long time, and it was quite oh, struggling. So I, my prayer beforehand, before the spiritual retreat, was, God, I just want to experience and see you again. Anyway, so you, you go into a period of silence. Silence is hectic because your brain just gets very noisy. That's why we need to deal with in silence to learn where, because the, the lies literally come bouncing up. And um, so I'd gone off on my own, and I was sitting there with God, and we were reading Psalm 139, and he just opened up a huge, beautiful picture of, of Jesus. I was standing before the throne. Jesus was with me, and God says, I'm giving you new shoes. And I already found myself dressed in the armor of God. So it was quite cool. And it was armor specifically fit for me. It fitted me. It was like no one else could wear this armor. So this is like a picture of David trying to wear Saul's armor. And um, he gives me these really, I mean, you all, maybe you don't, you all need to know I have a thing for shoes. Um, So he gives me this new, very cool pair of army boots, but they were like special. They They were white, it was like a pearly color, and they fitted my feet perfectly, and I could actually feel the ground, even though they had soles. And um, so he says, here's your new pair of shoes, grab your sword, we're going to go down into the realm of the dead. And he did a whole lot of work in me that, but I want this morning, and maybe just to build a hunger in you, that even though this sounds weird and you may like, like, I'm feeling uncomfortable, ask Holy Spirit so that, because I had a revelation, God gave me the revelation of who I was in Jesus about warfare. And it was just an expanding revelation. And I pray that God will expand your revelation of who you are. First of all, who Jesus is, that you know the captain, this king of kings and this lord of lords. And the second is that he, you start to understand and unpack a revelation of who you are in him, your authority in him, through him. So close your eyes. Dale, if you could come and sing that first song. Because, you know, and then... If people struggle with Holy Spirit, I want you to just close your eyes and picture Jesus standing in front of you.
And just say, Jesus, is there any lie that I believe about Holy Spirit? Or is there any lie that I believe about you? And if something comes, and it can be maybe that you don't believe he's powerful enough. Or that maybe you believe the enemy is more powerful than him. Just ask him. And then ask him, what is the truth that supersedes this lie? Sometimes a lie can come in through a person. So somebody saying something random to you and made you believe a lie about him or Holy Spirit. Maybe you feel like you need to forgive your mother for controlling you. And just say, Jesus, I choose to forgive. say, Jesus, show me the truth of who you are. Show me the truth of who Holy Spirit is. And if you have that, I want you to write it down. Because I want you to remind yourself of what the truth is in conjunction with reading Ephesians 1 and 2 again. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you bring a revelation of Jesus, the captain of the hosts, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, whose authority and might and power is over all. May we have an expanding, ongoing revelation of who he is. Won't you unveil any lies that we believe about him as we walk out in the next couple of weeks. He's mine. Come here. It is good to see you. Can I give you a hug? Come on. I mean, looking at you like, is that prince? Is that prince? This guy. Actually, prince, stand up. You know, your name suggests that you're royalty. But you're royal because of who Jesus is in you. And that you may guard other people's cause, but you guard. And I just declare that you're a warrior for him. And that there's so much more 
to who you are than just simply. And I just want to just release the royalty of Jesus over you right now. And that I release that your, your destiny is linked to God's plans. And I just believe that God will unlock so much more of who you are. And your, your destiny is in Him, in Jesus' name. So this is absolutely insane. You guys can pause your minds, put a bookmark in. Prince, you're welcome to sit. I've known Prince probably as long as Louise has known Prince, and we don't know Prince. So Prince is the man that God highlighted to me. He's from the front of the builder's warehouse, and he cares for cars. But it's so much more than that. Like, I've just felt the Holy Spirit all over this guy every time. You drive in, and Prince knows who you are, and you know who Prince is. And I've never seen him without his mask or his hat. So I was like, that must be Prince. <laughs> and I said to Prince this week, I said, oh, he, he, he saw the drum thrown in my boot because I was picking up concrete. Just go with it. <laughs> and he said, oh, man, that looks like a drum throne. And I said, yeah, I'm a musician. He said, cool, what music, what, what instruments do you play? And I always brush this off because it's just too, it's too long a list. I just go, all of them. And he says, oh, I'm a drummer, and I play in church, and what, 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 what? I said, that's interesting, because I lead a church with these guys. And he said, when can I come? I've asked you to come before. Yeah, but it's me. I'm special. I'm special. So, guys, when he walked through those doors, everything in me resonated with what Louise has just said now. That one millimeter, that one drop, that one step of courage. You've got your own church, you've got your own everything, but I wanted you to be here today. And the Holy Spirit wanted you to be here today. And here you are to just receive a blessing that speaks into your future, my friend. Guys, get that tiny bit of courage. Look what's just happened. This is insane. And I mean, I was like, is it? Who, who wants more of Holy Spirit? Come on, stand up. Who, who wants baptism? Whether you've been baptized before or not, uh, it doesn't matter. It's been being filled. And who wants, who's tired of the lack of power? Who's tired of not being effective? Who's tired of being scared? And who wants to know what it feels like to be, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? Come on. I, I don't want this to be an emotional thing, but I want this to be a conviction of like, God, I want more. I want more of you. But I also want to impact others. I want my presence as I walk because you are in me as a sacred space to just impact those around me. I'm tired of being the old me. I want to be the me that you've created me to be. Help me. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Holy Spirit, because I can't do this without you. You know I'm weak, but in my weaknesses, you are strong. So come bring us strength. So come and refill where we feel like we are we're weak and we're struggling. And fill. Fill us to overflowing so that we can touch others around us. And to those who, who struggle with Holy Spirit and struggle with the manifestations, won't you just bring us a new revelation of what that is, of why we need it. So I just ask you, Holy Spirit, won't you just come in and touch 
Sebastian, who you are an igniter. You come and you change atmospheres around us, that just who you are, that there's something about a passion in you. It's quiet, but it's strong. And I just pray that you will just release the strength of God in you. You have ignited things in, in life, house, in the youth that you don't even know about. So I just pray for a more of empowering, infilling, the desire you have for more of God. Won't you ignite that in others in Jesus' name, in the youth, in those that are around you. And I just pray for fire of God over you right now in Jesus' name. Carly, it's your birthday. You're 18 today. And actually 18 is a huge number. And 18, and I just pray that, that your beauty, that your quiet strength, your perseverance of just wanting more of God would just increase and in a deeper measure, more and more and more and more. Fill her to overflowing. Fill her, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Full, come on. Fire of God. It's been a tough season and God has, hasn't done things and how you want, but I just pray for just a, a reigniting of who you are and who He is in you. That as He impacts others, as He does things, that He would just be ignited in you in Jesus' name. Full, 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 full. Overflowing. That He will just see. And just break off every performance that he has. And just allow him to be son of God. Just a son. Son in the house. Yes. your hands up. Say, Jesus, I receive the revelation of who you are. I just pray for that you will just release a Holy Spirit, just a, an incredible revelation of the strength that he is. There's a man who, who loves people. And I just pray that as he fathers, as he loves people, that you would just release more of you in him but just i ask for alignment of his identity in you right now in jesus name and all the dreams that you've been having all those where there's been confusion and you haven't been sure i just pray for clarity right now from holy spirit that you would step into another realm of revelation and understanding that you can start impacting those and i just break off every religious constraint that's been over you and spoken over you right now in jesus name may you walk in the fullness of him who fills all and in all And I just, Holy Spirit, just touch Mark right now. So much has come at him. Release him. I just call him out of captivity right now in Jesus' name. I just see Jesus leading you out of that realm of darkness that you've, like things have come at you so much. And I just ask for Holy Spirit just to just give you strength and to rise and I say rise, arise, arise thank you that you are seated and I speak resurrection power over you and your life and your destiny right now in Jesus name, resurrection and we just ask in that, that as you resurrect his spirit and you call, I call his spirit to face forward and to face Jesus and to face Father God again and to stand up, arise so you can be seated 
in the heavenly realm, I just pray that as he does that, that you will heal his back. In Jesus' name. Right, Dana, won't you come forward, please, and the kids just feel to do a prophetic declaration over you guys. Dana's lost both her mom and dad in the last little while, and her dad passed away yesterday. Why don't you guys just sit here? I want not sit, stand. I want Ryan, Diana, Andrew, Kara over that side. You know, so often what we do over these seasons is we try and strive and we try and stand. But actually it says that we are seated with Christ. So I want you to take a seat. I want you just to sit. <laughs> Who feels just in their hearts something towards this family right now? Come, get around them. Just lay hands on them. You know, I'm actually not feeling emotional about what's happened with her mom and dad. I, I feel like there's, there's, there's God in, as Jesus wept when he found out that Lazarus had died, he knew he was going to resurrect him five minutes later, but he saw the pain on the, in his, the people that he loved and it says that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and so Lord right now we just want to declare Lord just an infilling of your Holy Spirit over this family as they have gone through the most traumatic season just with the unhelpful medical practices and all of what's gone down and the fact that Diana's a doctor and she could see just the just the rubbish that was going on in the hospital, especially with her dad. And Lord, I pray that, that despite all of that, you've called us to, a, to, to be a people that stand up for righteousness and truth. And I pray, Lord, that all the disappointments over the season, Lord, would infuse a deeper relationship. Like Louise said, that there would be an intimacy that would come out of this time. That as they've been pressed, Lord, what will come out is just your beauty, your radiance, and all of what Louise spoke of this morning, that in that the spiritual warfare would be a family that declared the goodness of who you are despite what has gone on around them. And they would be a faithful and a faithful walking out of the season as they honor Diana's mom and dad who've, who've passed on. But at the same time, God, they declare and they forge a legacy for the future generations, knowing, God, that you are faithful. And no matter what they're experiencing, the one thing they do know is that it's not because that you don't love them, because you've already demonstrated that through the cross. So I pray for your resurrection power, your dunamis power, Lord, just to flood this family in a way that, that's unprecedented. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's just worship. Just stay here. Stay in this place. Let's just do, sing that song. I know we're taking a bit of time this morning, but I, I think God's, God's here and He's in it. Let's stand and worship. And if the family could just stay here. For those who've come to pray, just stay here. Let's, you know, I once said, oh, let's worship over someone. And, and someone I respected said, what, what is that? Well, actually, we're worshiping Jesus. And we're saying, Jesus, come. Come and minister to these people in Jesus' name.
sing, come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We sing, come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. And King Jesus. You're the name with lifting high your glory Shaking up the earth and skies Revival Come alive 
Jesus, we bow and surrender to you. You are God and there is no other. You are God and there is none like you. And he drops the mic. Thanks so much for coming out. This is a two parts. I'm encouraging you to come back next week because I think Louise is going to round this off really well. And I know there's some stuff that she shared, which we as a couple, as an eldership, have only stumbled across in terms of spiritual warfare and spiritual beings. And uh, we're we hopefully going to do a course on this in not too distant future, just around actually some of the stuff which we've not seen biblically expressed in churches over a very long time. And to take the Hebraic mindset and to walk this out in a way that we become instruments of God into this world that so desperately needs it. So linger longer with us, have some coffee, we'd love to connect, and uh, thank you for coming out. Have an amazing week ahead, and uh, remember next week we've got uh, the worship thing as well uh, in the evening. So next Sunday I think it's going to be a magnificent day. Oh, and we've got the baptism, so don't leave, absolutely don't leave. If you can, just stick around. I know some people have got stuff on. Um, and uh, birthday parties and all kinds of stuff. But uh, if you are able to stick around for a little bit longer, Sonazo is going to get uh, baptized, which is an amazing thing. And it's, it's really cool to do that publicly. So thank you. Hi again, lifers. So nice to see you all again here today. For those of you who are online and for those who were at our venue, we are now allowed 225 people at our venue. And so we're really excited about that. We still have our bread basket fund that is going. And so if you're wanting to donate monies to people who are, are still struggling during this time of COVID, please feel free to find that link on our website too. And our life groups and Ignite Prayer will be starting again in May. So we're really excited to see everybody there. And if you do need help to find a life group, if you're new at our church, then please also go onto our website and you'll be able to get links to our, our life group leaders on there. And then lastly, we have a team of counselors. And if you're wanting to spend some time speaking to somebody, sharing your story with them and you're needing some help, then please feel free to email abundant at lifehousechurch.co.za somebody will definitely get back to you to be able to spend some time with you so good to see you all and see you again next week bye